The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Mark Amtower of Amtower and Company, which is entirely responsible for its content. This is Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Every week, author, speaker, consultant Mark Amtower gives you his take on what's going on in the world of federal marketing. Now, your host, Mark Amtower. Welcome to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm Mark Amtower. I'm here today with a return guest, Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting, and a first timer, Andy Petrachuk of Deepwater Point. Uh, gentlemen, thank you for coming. Thank you for having us. Yeah, good to be here again, Mark. Uh, Andy, uh, Bob's been here several times, so you're going to lead off. Tell people who you are, what you do, where you came from, etc. Yeah, so thank you. Andy Petrachuk, I come from a company named Deepwater Point. We are a new business, uh, new business strategy and growth company. We accelerate the growth of our clients while advancing the mission of government. And it's important that I add that because although our paying clients are companies that do business with the government, we think part of our mission is to make sure that the right companies with the right solutions are brought to the federal agencies. So it's kind of a symbiosis. We've been around about 14 years. We're about uh, 200 consultants right now. About 40% of them are ex-industry executives like myself. I worked uh, at Lockheed Martin for 25 years. And the other 60% are ex-federal executives, CIOs, acquisition officers, program managers, and the like. We think that blend is kind of what's unique about us, having that intimacy and understanding of government while still understanding business rhythms and what a company needs to do to drive its revenue and to grow as a company. We think both of those things are, are very important. We cover the intel, health, DOD and civil markets. They're obviously very broad. And we work with companies from very small to very large. My particular area of expertise is the larger companies. They may be service companies, product companies. We're set up to handle all of those situations. We deal primarily in new business growth. And a lot of the work that I do is capture. And that's why I think we're here with Bob today to talk about how we come together in that space. Robert, fill in the blanks. So uh, Bob Lofeld, uh, 16 years now running uh, Lofeld Consulting Group. We're basically a capture and proposal consulting house. We have uh, a little over 100 consultants working on our team, and we support uh, the largest companies in the market, the mid-tiers, and we support the small businesses when they sort of get to mid-stride and begin competing seriously in the uh, government market. What's so interesting about us in Deepwater Point is we're, we're really synergistic because our business sort of picks up in capture and goes to the end of the acquisition life cycle with a tremendous amount of proposal work that, that we do. And we really don't do the front end of the life cycle, the business uh, introductions, meeting people, the, the face-to-face uh, with the government customer. So we make a nice handoff and we uh, pass uh, work back and forth between the two companies. Cool. I love when that happens. So. Bob and I have talked about it, and it is a situation where we'll do a lot of the intimacy, the understanding of requirements, the shaping of the requirements, and kind of take that into the whole strategy. And then Bob's team kind of picks up the back end of that where you're really getting into process and locking down and writing a winning proposal. And uh, Mark, I'd add what makes that so good and effective for the clients is we, we know from a proposal point of view that we'll write a great proposal if the client, our client, has a deep understanding of the government's uh, requirements, their mission, their preferences, their likes, dislikes. And uh, we help them with that understanding create a, uh, a great solution. 
so it makes a natural uh, transition from uh, Andy at Deepwater Point to us to do the proposals. And uh, similarly for us, when we get an engagement with a client, we know that uh, the proposal will be much better if we can get uh, Andy's company involved and have them help with the front end, the understanding of the client. So we, together we're stronger, maybe a you know, force multiplier, if you will. When, there you when go. We combine. I like that too. So give me an example of, of how you guys have worked together uh, previously. So let me, uh, let me jump in here. Uh, we've had uh, uh, ref- referrals from uh, Deepwater Point, and the, the referral relationship is there's, there's no compensation back and forth. We just do it for the good of the client. But we'll get situations where they'll be working with a client, and they'll uh, call up and say, we need uh, two more people on our proposal. Can you send them to uh, Denver? And uh, have them there on a Monday morning, and and we'll uh, jump in and do that. And uh, other deals are are much more strategic, where they they're starting to uh, shape a deal and understand it, and we'll engage early on in capture and help facilitate the solutioning. So it's it's worked really well for uh, generally with us for the larger clients that that we engage with. Okay. Yeah, Bob. I think I would add to that that it's um. It really has helped in, in two situations I can think of. It really has helped the client that was in a tight spot. In one case, it was a proposal that was going in with not that much time left, and it was something beyond what we could do, and we were able to call on Bob and really satisfy one of our clients with the type of skill they really needed at that point in time. Uh, Conversely, there was a study, a major study that needed to be done in the DOD space, um, which Bob and his team were requested to take a look at, and he recognized they just didn't have the breadth of subject matter experts. It required 15 to 20 different DOD folks to perform this market study. And so Bob rang us up, and we were able to do that. And again, it had like a 60-day fuse on it. We were able to help out a customer who had a real need. 60-day fuse, and how many SMEs did you need? <laughs> we needed 15 because when you're dealing with all the various COCOMs that are out there and the various folks in each one of those COCOMs, you require quite a variety of folks to be able to bring the intelligence that's required. Yeah. So the, the neat thing about uh, Deepwater Point, with uh, many of their people coming from the government market, they have deep expertise, you know, firsthand knowledge. And in our case, uh, 95% of our people are private sector uh, career capture managers and proposal managers. So we know when we need deep expertise in the government market, we reach out to uh, Deepwater Point. Cool. So this is a pure handoff relationship. You guys aren't Subbing with one another. Yeah, we, we had talked about that early on, and a prerequisite for the arrangement was that we wouldn't sub with, with uh, each other because that's not advantageous to the client or, or to us. So an example would be if we were a sub to Deepwater Point, they would take our rates and mark them up to the client, and, and then the client would probably be upset because they could have come to us directly and gotten a better price. And, and conversely, if we push our rates down, we really wouldn't want to do that because we're selling all the talent we have at, at the uh, standard prices that we offer in the industry. Right. You're both knowledge-based offers. Right. I think the one thing we can do is sometimes bridge in between for a brief period of some time if somebody needs you tomorrow. And we all know companies can take a while to put a contract in place. Then Bob may put us on his for a very brief period of time while they're getting that ready. We might do the same. And we'll do that with a special accommodation so it's not the type of, of loading that Bob refers to. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I refer Bob business. I I don't know you guys well enough yet. Well, you uh, should. Well, <laughs> um, well, there's there's a lot of things that I don't do in the market, but I get a lot of calls, so I like to be able to refer people 
to someone if I can't help. So I, I've been vetting Bob Gnosis. I've been vetting people in the market for 35 years now. So I have a fairly decent idea of who's good at what, who I like, and who I trust. So you got to fit all three categories. Yeah, we, uh, we always operated with the belief that we wanted referrals to us to come because of the, the quality of the work that we do, the performance results we get, not because of the stipend that somebody's getting for, for making the referral. Right. I don't, I don't, I've been offered uh, pay for referrals before, and uh, you know, it's always nice to have an extra income stream, mm-hmm. but I don't want one for that. I want people to know that I'm not making money from a referral. I'm doing it because these are people I know, I trust, I like, and they'll give you what you want. And if they don't, let me know and I'll beat them up. Mm-hmm. We're really helping the client, right? That, At the end of the day, that's what really right. matters. And we're advantaging ourselves by using each other's vantage point and seeing where they need help. But it's purely to help the client. Cool. And the premise has always been if we can help the client be successful, they'll come back again and they'll, they'll do the word of mouth for us. And, and other, others will learn about our services. So I guess you know, 14 years on Deepwater Point, 16 years on Lofeld Consulting probably speaks to that. that and I, I'm record. assuming you guys knew each other at Lockheed because that would have been an overlap time or not? We actually didn't know each other. I, we've, I've heard Bob's name. I, he was kind of a god, so maybe he hasn't heard mine. But, <laughs> but, uh, but we do know a lot of mutual folks, and we, and we do understand the rhythm that came out of that. And I think, quick digression back to the study we talked about before for one of our clients – we salted two or three industry people into that 15 to 20 person team because understanding the rhythms again of a company, order sales, EBIT cash, how it all works, what they need to do to satisfy a client is important in addition to all that federal experience that a lot of our other subject matter experts bring. It There's a balance there that's very important to satisfying clients in this space. Cool. Well, if you ever need a subject matter expert in marketing, particularly LinkedIn, let me know. Okay. Um, We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I shall return with Andy and Bob right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Andy Petrachuk of Deepwater Point and Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting. You can find Andy on LinkedIn and at deepwaterpoint.com. Correct. And Lofeld at Lofeld Consulting, and Lofeld is L-O-H-F-E-L-D. Lofeld Consulting, all one word, and Bob is also on LinkedIn. Uh, I suggest you, uh, if you like what you're hearing, reach out. Um, so let's get a little more granular here. So give me an example of like the perfect engagement for your firm and for your firm and then maybe where they meld. So Andy, you want to kick it off? Yeah. So first, again, let me just mention that we do small business mid-tier. I'm going to concentrate on the large and the capture piece, not executive services and the other types of consulting that we do. So for a large opportunity where we're supporting a capture, we like to get engaged about 18 to 24 months in advance. That's when you can really identify what the customer wants. That's when you can shape the requirements. And when I say shape the requirements, I don't mean they twist them around so your particular client wins. It's Find something that's to the advantage of both your client and the government. Find a good solution that makes sense because that's the only type of requirement or solution that's going to stick. Um, work with those people at that point in time, and it can be varying levels up front. It tends to be a lower level, and as you get into the period of time getting closer to an actual proposal, that level will increase. Uh, we'll typically up front help them find if they have discriminators and uh, a value proposition. 
We'll help them identify key personnel that they want to put forward in this bid so they can still so they can definitely win. We'll, we'll uh, get together with them and try to discuss what they think their teammates might be, where they have holes, conduct a black hat if necessary. We'll support color reviews. And one of the other things we do is we write what we like to call an early executive summary. So this is not necessarily the executive summary that's in the proposal, the two to five pages. It's more of an outline of the entire proposal with all the wind themes and discriminators and key points placed in the proper spot. Because you'll find as the team goes off to write the proposal, they're typically going to leave those things out and write the speeds and feeds and things of that type. As we get into that color team review phase, I think, Bob, that's really where your team starts to get engaged and take the lead and, and, and control a, uh, the process. So for us, uh, we would describe a perfect engagement in a similar way that once a company has identified an opportunity and we say has made an affirmative decision to pursue the opportunity and to spend money on it, then that's when we want to engage. And we're, what we're talking about here is capture. So we, we help a company uh, structure its capture process, and then we help them uh, plan it and execute it. The most important thing in uh, capture is to develop a deep understanding of the client requirements. And the better we understand those, the better we'll solution. But we know that if we're going to have a great proposal, we have to begin with a great solution. And so many times the, uh, the technical people that we work with, they know what a solution is, but they don't know what a great solution is. And we work with them through facilitated exercises to develop a solution that's rich in features that can be scored as evaluation strengths. And once we get those uh, crystallized, documented, substantiated, then we take those features and drive them into the proposal. So our engagement begins ideally in capture, and by the time we're uh, at the proposal stage, we're pretty much running the proposal show, and we'll provide the proposal manager, maybe the volume leads on a, a larger engagement, and writers and reviewers. And then we try to build a proposal that reflects that high-scoring solution, but equally important, meets a set of uh, quality criteria that we lay, off, lay against uh, every proposal we do. And we have seven quality factors that we use, and, and we know from uh, experimental results if we can achieve these quality factors, we, we can uh, basically double win rates for companies. So, so we like to take con- uh, more control as we transition from early stage capture to the proposal. Yeah, I should point out that uh, several things that Bob's mentioning, like the seven criteria, uh, are show up in – one of your books. So you have, what, three or four books out we, now? We've, we've now written six books on uh, I'm missing proposals. Uh, I'll, I'll complete your set. The, there you go. They're all out on Amazon. The uh, latest one is 10 Steps to Creating High-Scoring Proposals. And you can read it in Kindle format for $10 and a hard copy format for about 20 bucks. And it's turned out to be a really good seller in the government market. I'd like to make two points on top of what Bob said. One is I think what's different on both ends of this process is people. And I think the experience that Bob's people have in pulling these types of proposals together is very important. Process is important, but those people are very important. Certainly at the front end, having the intimacy and understanding the customer and how government works is extremely important. And one of the things we will tend to focus on is the call plan. Identify those people that are decision makers and influencers. Identify what matters to them, uh, what their hot buttons are, how they think about things. And then make sure that the client has a value proposition that ties to each of those things because that will kind of tell you up front if you really got a shot at this and how you may have to shape it. Okay, so 
what happens when you run across a client that's either borderline or you don't think will make the cut? Are you going to say you shouldn't bid this? Absolutely. We're not going to go lightly and say, hey, let's not look at this and see if we could shape it. But if a client can't win, there's there's no sense taking them down the road. That doesn't work out for, for either party. And we, we do the same thing because none of our staff want to work on a death march that's, that's not going to be successful. So we'll advise the client uh, early on in the engagement. We'll say, you know, here's, here's what we think it takes to win. And of the 10 things that we think a winner needs, you got two. And you don't have a partner that's got the other eight. So, you know, we'll, we'll press ahead if you want it, but we're really not uh, anxious to do it. Shot across the, the bow. The, yeah, the, the best uh, triage for us is when they first call. Before we accept an assignment, we go through a list of questions that we want answered, and we have to convince ourselves that this client has a chance to win it. They're right for the deal. They have the credentials. They have the experience. They have the management team, and they, they can play well. And if not, then we just tell them they're not a fit for us, and we turn down the business. Many of our assignments actually start with a, a market analysis that winds up in a certain space creating a pipeline. Maybe it's NOAA. Maybe it's NASA. So these opportunities, hopefully, are somewhat qualified. Now, you'll learn more as you get into each specific opportunity, but typically we're not starting with, with a bad set of opportunities. So um, types of company, I mean, do you, Bob, so a lot of yours is professional services. And if you look at uh, our, our company set, uh, two-thirds of our business comes from the largest companies in, in the market. Right, and the other third is split between the mid tiers and the smalls, that are as we'd say midway through their maturity uh, stride. So the, the smalls are doing maybe fifteen million a year, and beginning to compete. And as they begin, they they can see clearly over the horizon that the day is going to come when they're not smaller. They've they're going to lose their eight A, and they're going to have to compete for real. And and that's when we begin to engage. And at that point, they're bidding jobs that are interesting enough to require outside experts to help them. And I'd say we do that across all government markets. So we have the, the civilian agencies, the defense agencies, and then the classified market. We hold our own facility clearance, and we work the intel community in the classified DOD space too. Interestingly enough, our business kind of divides a third, a third, a third. So the small to mid-tier companies for those types of services, about a third of our revenue, Product companies, which behave in a, in a different way, that's about a third of our revenue. And the capture large enterprise companies, that's about a third of our revenue. As far as clients go, we call them enterprise clients because it's not just the typical SIs. It's now the Accentures and other companies, which are a little bit different from that. It's telcos. It uh, could be, in many cases, companies that are, were architectural firms. And now a lot of health companies that are delving into the federal space. So they have to be large they have to be interested in in a large opportunity. That's what really fits for us. Okay, and, and we're we're not uh, we don't do much in the product space because the type of proposals we're looking for. We want an RFP that says, "Give us a technical approach, a management approach, a transition plan, past performance, uh, resumes, and a cost volume." And that that's the kind of uh, bids that we look for and have a significant level of technical complexity to them, whether they be in uh, information technology or engineering or aerospace and defense. That's what, what fits us. The commodity sales in the market is, uh, is a rarity for us. We're really not in that space. Okay. Now, I know Lofel does a lot of training 
uh, classroom training and probably mm-hmm. sessions for specific clients? We, we do. We, <clears throat> uh, I was looking at the numbers. We're teaching something north of 40 classes this year. We teach monthly for uh, Dell Tech at what they call the Dell Tech University. So we'll do one class a month publicly with the exception of August and December. We don't do a public class in those months just because the students are off doing other things in the summer recess or the, the holiday season. And then we teach private classes uh, all over the country for uh, individual companies. And we teach uh, capture management, proposal management, proposal writing. We teach a great class in strength-based solutioning, which is our, our methodology, our approach to creating uh, high-scoring uh, solutions and high-scoring proposals. And we teach on a class on reviewing proposals, which are really critical to to practitioners. And we teach a class on uh, maximizing business under IDIQ vehicles. So that, that portfolio of classes are, are going on all the time. And then finally, we teach a professional accreditation class for people who want to become professional proposal managers. and So the APMP certification. That's right. This yeah. is sanctioned under the Association of Proposal Management Professionals. Right. And we're one of maybe two or three companies in the U.S. that are authorized to teach and adjudicate the exams, administer the exams. Cool. What about Deep Water? You guys do training? We do some, but not as formal as Bob does. It's more of a, an as-required. Um, we have had sessions and done training on capture Training on Keep Sold, where you're the incumbent on a program. Corollary to that, we've done how to unseat an incumbent. Basically, those are the types of activities we've been asked to do. It's it's been kind of on a request basis, not so something it would be we for have. a specific client. Specific client will yeah. ask and say, "Hey, or we may notice in a certain situation that the team's not quite up to speed on on certain capabilities." So we'll try to train them in that aspect and then keep that and be able to use it again with other clients. There's about a dozen webinars on our website that are there for free. And if anybody's interested, you can click on those and spend, uh, you know, 45 minutes of uh, time listening to us talk about the uh, end of the incumbent empire or the uh, attention span of an evaluator is less than the attention span of a goldfish. So we've got some really neat topics out there and some (laughs) Some really, uh, I'd say, pithy discussions about uh, various aspects of winning business in the government market. Cool. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Going to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Wisdom served daily. Experience the difference of the journalists at Federal News Network. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here today with Andy Patrichuk of Deepwater Point and Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting, and we're discussing the uh, the bid proposal capture side of things. Uh, so let's let's uh, let's go kind of uh, twenty five thousand foot view. What's changing in the uh, procurement landscape? I mean, end of FYs here, but that really doesn't impact tremendously. The overall landscape. Uh, for for me, uh, it's all about vehicles at this stage, and 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 I'm not talking about this stage in the year. I'm talking about this stage in the the evolution of government procurement. And we find that uh, one of the the biggest criteria for companies in pursuing deals is trying to guess what vehicle it's going the deal will come out under, and particularly in the IT market or the engineering services market, and. Uh, the guessing game of do you, is it going to come out under a vehicle you have or a vehicle you don't have? 
and and this uh, consolidation of procurement actions across a set of contract vehicles has uh, greatly increased the value of the vehicles. But for the have-nots, it's it's uh, uh, I'd say uh, often a death sentence for the company that they can no longer play in the government market and. They will be sitting on the sidelines for maybe 10 years not having access to the vehicle or if the vehicle is recompeted. What we're learning is that these on-ramps take just as much effort as recompeting the whole vehicle did in the beginning. So the the on-ramps are kind of slow getting underway. So this consolidation is troublesome for uh, many companies. For those that have the vehicles, life is good. You know, it's, it's you and your 100 closest friends and you divvy up the whole federal market. Long run, I don't think it's a good strategy for, for the government or for industry. I think the one thing I'd add to that is those people that are new to having the vehicles that get them need to make sure they have a plan to pull the task orders through them because they wind up being a lot of awardees. And again, it's another series of competitions. So it's not quite like the first primary or instant contract competition, but each of those task orders can be a competition. And you need to have a machine and insight to be able to draw the business through. Nothing worse than booking it. And having it in your plan because you booked this large contract and then not being able to pull the task orders through and earn the money. So it's interesting at the task order competition level, when we first saw contract vehicles come to market, they would have uh, you know three companies or five companies or six companies as the awardees, and those companies would basically compete and divvy up the entire market. And all the companies on the outside would say, hey, we can't play. We, you should uh, award to more. And and the government employees on the inside would say, I'd, I'd like to award this, but I'd really like to see the ABC company compete, and they're not on the vehicle. So the procurement office, in its wisdom, opened up the aperture and began making uh, vehicle awards with 40 companies. And now we're seeing it creep up to 80 companies or 100 companies. Are, are or now, 8A stars with yeah, 800 companies. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So, so at some point you have to ask the question, when, when does it become uh, just another contractual impediment to have a vehicle? Because in reality, everybody's got a vehicle. Why did we go through all this exercise? Why didn't we just write a good RFP in the beginning and push it out to the world and let the best players compete? So uh, Seaport C- E did that you know, with 2,000 awardees. I, I don't think they got it right, but, but somewhere the, the answer is – Maybe, maybe the vehicles aren't here for the long haul. Who knows? Uh, different cha- – well, I will make one more comment. There's a lot of clients where you'll go and you'll see the list of vehicles they have and you kind of wonder, why do you have all those? You're really not pulling any money through a lot of them. So you really kind of need to be more selective. I think the other change that's going on is it's kind of obvious is this continued consolidation. You know, in our space, what used to be 12 or 15 companies is is – Closing up SAIC, you know, Angility, GDIT, CSRA, all the companies are kind of collapsing together, which is creating a, a different, more concentrated space, and they all need to produce, and they all need to win more now that they've consolidated. Well, yeah, GDIT was number one for a year, and now it's Lighthouse, and who's to say who's going to be number one next year, um, the next merger? Maybe United Technology will maybe us to that spot, so we'll see. You know, one of the one of the good things that's happening in the market is we've moved away from this low, lowest price, technically acceptable award mm-hmm. uh, criteria, and you know it came about at a time where the defense budget was ratcheting downward every year, and everyone was trying to save every dollar they could, and awarding on the cheap was better than not. And 
And there was such a huge backlash from that that they wrote language in the National Defense Authorization Act to prevent it. And DOD came out with policy statements against it. And, and now that's sort of sinking in across the market. And people are back to awarding best value at a fair and reasonable price. Not, not the cheapest, bravest contractor gets, gets the deal. So that, that's good for the industry, good for America. Well, the LPTA thing always reminded me of the desktop contracts back in the early 90s when Sears Business Systems bid on Desktop 2, and they bid a 286, and they won after the 386 came out. And the tech refresh took them like a year and a half, <laughs> and they were losing money. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, they, they, In the services business, it's – the companies are uh, slow to lose money, but what they're quick to do is hire cheaper and cheaper labor. And and we all know that uh, you're not going to get the brightest labor and the smartest people to work cybersecurity when you're pushing the wages down to a bare minimum. Andy, how do these changes impact uh, Deepwater Point? What I'd kind of like to say is that <clears throat> all change is good because all change pushes our clients to need to understand more about what's going on in the marketplace. And with the, with the subject matter experts we have, being able to go back and talk to the various agencies and to the associations in which they participate, we're able to keep kind of on the leading edge of that information. So I wouldn't say there's a particular thing happening, although the consolidation does push companies to have to win more business, which is good for us. But I would say that all change requires clients to need more insight, more information, and, and that's good for us. I, I think it raises the competitiveness of the market. Uh, back, back when uh, – I'll go back to vehicles for a moment. Back when vehicles were awarded with maybe a, a dozen winners, uh, companies would just uh, look at every deal that came out, and if it looked like it matched the capability, they bid it. And, and they could win because competition was really uh, reduced under the vehicle. But now with more players in it, uh, the, the successful contract holders are looking at every deal and asking the question, did, did we work capture on it? Did we help shape this requirement? Are we really positioned to win? And they're not bidding the deals if, if they're uh, not well positioned. So com- competitive level has uh, stepped up. You can't just – bid a bunch and expect to win. you got to bid and make really good decisions about what you bid and, of course, write good proposals and good solutions. Okay. I want to back up just a second and close this segment with uh, um, if you could change the procurement process, how would you go about it? Andy, you want to start? I think the thing that that I notice most is – there's still a tendency on the part of government to describe exactly what they want. All the elements of a solution, all the components, instead of a statement of objectives or a desired set of outcomes, they get very prescriptive about what it is they want in the solution. The other thing I see is is sort of a dichotomy somewhat between the procurement organization and the rest of the agency when it comes to topics like innovation. The agency is looking for innovation, but when you pour pour through the RFP and look at the criteria, innovation becomes risk, and it's not something that's easy to bring into a proposal. So I think the government finding a way to better embrace innovation and to become more comfortable with the companies bringing the solutions with SLAs or a managed service approach or whatever it is they want to ensure that they're getting performance, I think that would be better for everyone involved. 
Yeah, if I, if I could change something, I would move the uh, procurement selection, uh, the award selection authority to be solidly in the program side of the agency, the mission side, and not in the contracting office. So I, I think contracts should be uh, playing an assisting role, not not a decision-making role. And I think it's just uh, uh, not, not good for government for someone in the contracting office to say to the program side, here's your contractor for the next five years, have a nice life, I'm out of here. So it's a bit like making decisions in the land of no consequence, and yet the program side is stuck with a contractor that they they wouldn't have chosen. So I'd, yeah. I'd like that decision authority to move to the, the program side of the house. I think you're right, and, and it ties a bit back to what I said before, but the um, the access to the customer during the procurement process in many cases is limited by the procurement side. And I understand wanting to keep a fair and level playing field, and that's very, very important. But if you don't have dialogue with industry, it's hard to actually ferret out the best <clears throat> solutions. Okay. I'll, I'll end this by saying I don't believe there's a fair and even playing field. That's why we're all here, you, Andy, Bob, and me, to unlevel that playing field for our clients. Well, they can set so, the level playing field. Then yeah, we'll, well, sure. We'll shift the we, balance. We, we, like, we like it level. We just want it tilted in our direction. That's right. So, that's, well, that's no, I'm we're driving we're a bulldozer. Thanks anyway. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're going to take a break. You're listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio part of the Federal News Network, and we'll wrap up right after this. Welcome back to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. I'm here with Andy Patrichuk of Deep Water Point. Again, you can find him at deepwaterpoint.com or on LinkedIn. Bob Lofeld of Lofeld Consulting, also uh, uh, on LinkedIn, and Lofeld is L-O-H-F-E-L-D Consulting, all one word, dot com. Um, so I want to start with this, and you guys can figure out who goes first. What makes your organization different and unique in this market? So we'll start with Andy this time. Sure. Well, I think it really comes down to the people. I mentioned up front that we have a team of subject matter experts, about 200 people. Uh, again, there is a mix in there of both federal executives and federal industry executives, which gives it, a, 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 I think, a good vantage point, a good balance. Uh, we cover 40 different agencies, so I think it's good for a company that's looking at expanding. Let's say you're in a particular – we just talked about consolidation. Certain firms are going to have to look to adjacent markets. It's very hard to determine which market you're going to make a bet on. It's hard to find one person that can cover that entire market. You can come to a company like Deep Water Point, and we'll bring you the right mix of subject matter experts to help you analyze that market, identify opportunities, and capture those opportunities. Now, 200 people sounds like a lot, but in many cases, you don't have those people. The 200 people that we have tend to be very good with finding somebody that may be needed for a particular opportunity. So they're good in and of themselves. They're also well-placed to find other resources that may be required for a particular circumstance. It's, it's hard to say, hey, we got... 30 DOD people, we've got DOD covered. With all the commands and everything out there, that would be kind of a silly comment. Yeah, DHS is 22 components. But we have enough of the well-thought-about people in those areas to go find the right resource if we don't already have them on board. And I would suggest one other thing. It's not so much about ticking down our roster and finding the great person, and there are many of them on there. It's about them being involved with the team and our resilience to be able to bring you whatever you need. 
Okay. Yeah, and with 200 people, you kind of have an exponential reach into the market. So. And you can bring them on and bring them off, <clears throat> right? Just like in, in an LOE type of conference, it's very important to get a resource when nice. you need them. And we'll take them off, right? You don't yeah. want them sitting around working on a proposal. If that's not the expertise right now, let's shift to somebody else to solve your problem. Yep. So like Andy says, it's all about the people. And in our case, that's true uh, as well. And when you think about proposal writers or proposal managers, they have this uh, generic uh, uh, labor category. And proposal managers come in all different levels. We see people who uh, have uh, spent their life writing proposals for uh, $5,000. And then we see people who are writing proposals for $5 billion. And there's a, a light year of difference between the two, but they all go under the name proposal manager. So in, in our market, uh, we often joke that uh, anybody with a laptop and a cell phone calls themselves a proposal manager. When they, when they think there's an opportunity to do that. Uh, what what we've tried to do in our business is find the best and brightest and, and engage them with our firm because in the end what we are involved in is an intellectual competition. And we believe deeply that the smartest ones, the ones who are best informed, are the ones who are going to win. And, and we uh, recruit and retain those people. And being uh, an organization of over 100 consultants – Companies look at us as like having their own proposal center with 100 people in it. There's, there's lots of oversight. There's lots of collective intelligence. And there's probably not a problem or an issue out there in the market that we haven't seen before and, and have a good understanding of how to deal with it. So okay. it comes back to that, that nucleus of uh, great people. Doing yeah, great I comment from, from seeing Bob's business and, and having been a customer in previous periods and, and work with him now, again, it, comes, it does come down to the people. There are many people that have – codify the proposal process. Bob's codified it best, I'm sure, but, yeah, I, but it's, it's, it's good to have a codified process, but if you don't have the people that can steer you through that and bring intelligence and insight to it, uh, it, it doesn't pay you back, and I think Bob's team does that. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Cool. So what advice would you give uh, future customers uh, uh, to be more successful in this market, not just working with you but in general? Andy? I think you got to start early. I think you have to be looking out over the horizon. I think you have to be willing to start to investigate an opportunity early on. Some of them, large ones, three years out isn't ridiculous. That doesn't need to be – you don't need to have a war room and 8,000 people sitting in there, but you need to start to look at the opportunity. I think you also need to make the bid-no-bid decision at the right time because I see many companies continue to spend a little money and figure it out, spend a little money and figure it out it's either – at a certain point, you should jump in and really go win that thing, and you can shape it and win it. Or you should decide, I'm not going to. I'm going to keep my powder dry. I'm going to take that money and, and, and put it on another opportunity. So, so I think the advice we would give is it uh, depends on the stage of uh, maturity that the company is in. If, if they're an early, early stage company, we'd tell them, uh, come, come take some of the training classes that we offer and, and learn what capture is all about and learn, learn what it's like to – to write a really good proposal and how you know whether you've written a good one or not. So tra- training is really important uh, early on. And, of course, we train uh, the largest companies in the market too. But for early-stage companies, you've got to walk a bit before you start to run. The, uh, the mid-tiers, when you start getting your company up into the hundreds of people, it becomes time to look at creating a, a repeatable process 
for running capture and running proposals. In, in early stage, you know, it's uh, every, every proposal, every capture is a new adventure. But over time, you begin to learn that certain things work really well for your company and other things don't, and you should begin codifying that process and then managing to it and driving all the deals through through that process. That that's, uh, contributes greatly towards a successful outcome. And then for the largest people, the largest companies, you're playing in the most competitive space. Hire the brightest people you can and, and uh, give them a good process and give them good training. And that, that becomes really essential to being successful. Cool. Anything to add to that? Yeah, a couple things. One is I think <clears throat> the, um, the outside view is sometimes underrated. It doesn't need to be the same amount of effort or support for every one of these opportunities. In some cases, in, in the large company case, most of them are very robust, understand their process, very good at what they do. But they can still use insight in various spaces. And I think even if you have people, let's say, on a particular job that know that agency, to have someone that's not inside your company, that's not part of that team, it's always good to get that outside view. Because we all see things very differently when we're not inside that cauldron of the actual capture and proposal process. Yeah. So, so probably three, three keys to being successful, <clears throat> um, make good pursuit decisions and uh, that would be the first. And we've, we've had companies come to us and say, we're, we're not winning our share. What should we do? And, and ask us to do a study. And we said, well, we don't need to do a study. You, what you need to do is quit bidding jobs. You have no chance of winning. And, and we can identify those pretty clearly for you. So, so make good bid decisions. Second is uh, apply this uh, approach that we use. We call it strength-based solutioning to, to create a solution that's rich in features that can be scored by the evaluators as strengths because in the end, the selection is based on the quality and number of strengths that, that reside in your proposal. So number two, not, but understand deeply that not every solution is a winner. You have to really work the solution, make it rich in features that can be scored as strengths. And, and the third thing is set a standard for the quality of your proposals and measure it against every proposal and drive the quality upward. And, and those three things will make a huge difference for companies. I'll add one more thing. I also find that companies are very busy, consolidations and such. Many times they really don't dedicate the team to the capture. A lot of people are doing things on a part-time basis. God love them. There's a lot of work going on. But you really need to get that, that core team off on their own, really working on the proposal as the number one priority. Cool. Andy Patrichuk, Deke Waterpoint, Bob Lofeld, Lofeld Consulting. Gentlemen, thanks for coming in. Our, our pleasure, Mark. Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you very much, Mark. This is not my day job. I, I advise companies on all aspects of marketing, but I, I want to emphasize again that if you're not fully leveraging LinkedIn, there's 2.2 million feds that I can identify by agency and operating division on LinkedIn. Every single agency, including the IC, is there. Uh, if you aren't using this for business development and social selling, uh, give me a call. Drop me a line at mark at federaldirect.net. And thank you for listening to Amtower Off Center. You've been listening to Amtower Off Center on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Tune in Mondays at noon or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.
There are a million reasons e-commerce shoppers don't buy. In fact, 97% abandon their first store visit. AdRoll retargeting keeps your brand on their mind, so they come back to buy. Visit AdRoll.com to start retargeting today. Your story, it lives in River City, where you can enjoy a metropolitan vibe and a small town feel, where we set the standard for service and looking out for one another, where there's so much more than steak in our thriving food scene. Your story is the story of Omaha, told by those who live it and love it. Whether that's helping you keep up with the Cornhuskers or creating the content you crave. And here in the Omaha World Herald is where it comes to life. Omaha World Herald, where your story lives.